Hey, everybody. Welcome to our newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled to be joined by my friend Daryl Lawrence today. How are you, Daryl? I'm doing great, Chad. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I was just telling you before we started, it's been a stressful morning. My husband and I have a saltwater fish tank. I got it for my family for Christmas, and it is the most delicate, fragile little ecosystem. And it's so beautiful, but we keep having like tragic things happen. <laughs> it's so stressful. So I woke up this morning and the, the heater had broken. And if the temperature drops too much, it will kill all the fish. Uh, which we're down to four now because we had uh, an algae outbreak a few months ago that killed like three other fish. Anyway, it's so tiring, but it's all better now. So it was kind of a harried, stressful morning with work and getting kids to school. Uh, but uh, I can breathe easy again. Nothing stresses me out in my life right now more than that fish tank. But it also brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> How are you, yes. my friend? How's your day been? Uh Going pretty well. I got some mowing done, and um, it's currently the bun bun nap period. They nap during the afternoon, so Asta is um, snoozing on a rug across the room, and hopefully she won't trot across the keyboard um, like she did last time we recorded a couple days ago. And I had to quickly like <laughs> shove her off and be like, "Nope, nope, go somewhere else. Please don't click me out of this Zoom right now." Uh, uh, Daryl has rabbits for those that don't know what bun bun means. <laughs> yes. Um, three rabbits. One of them likes to visit, but she's real sleepy. It's been a tough morning for her of eating and drinking water and, uh, running around. So my, my children live with me and also their mother and at their mom's house, they have rats and a rabbit. And at my house, they have a dog and fish and, they uh they talk about their animals a lot their their rabbit's name is barnabas and i hate it i babysit it sometimes and i hate it i will never own a rabbit i understand the cuteness but i like you try to pick them up and they scratch your arms to shreds and uh my kids will make and i, I adore both of my children of course but they will make this sound effect whenever they're talking about their rabbit that's like i'm a bunny and then they'll go like no like I can't do it like them it's like a, it's like a throatier sound and they'll do it about 700 times a day to the point where it's like um Kath Loria was on my podcast recently and she said like whenever her children turn on Spongebob Squarepants she's like turn it off like I, <laughs> that's what this rabbit sound that they make does for me I'm like I would rather you sing baby shark than make that sound one more time <laughs> <laughs> are you friends with Sarah Century do you know Sarah I connected with her actually after the last time you recorded and released an episode with her. Sarah's, she, a, Sarah's a bunny lover too. She is. And I uh, I saw one of her posts and I think she might be in my geographic area. I, I think she's near Boston, I think. Really? Okay. Then she might, she definitely posted something where she's like, we need someone in this area to take some rabbits. And uh, it was in Minnesota. So, but she also's like, or Denver. So I'm not sure what the purpose of oh, that yeah. was. I might but be totally I, off with where she is too. I don't know, I guess. I don't know. I, I sort of want to track her down. Maybe you could be like the connector with that. Be like, <laughs> hey, you two, you have bunnies. And I could be like, hey, are you in Minnesota? Because we would love to grab coffee and talk about bunnies for like- I would be hour. thrilled to introduce you. Sarah is such a force. I love her. Literally, I've recorded nearly a hundred episodes of Grand Malkin Lane now. And literally my favorite single recording was my episode on Vera Cantor with her. We hung out for like two and a half hours 
and she is the loveliest person. But yeah, she was talking about her bunnies and she found a sick bunny recently that she was nursing. And I think she's lovely. She's a, she's a wonderful person. So rabbits can be good. Everyone listening to this, they don't just scratch Chad. Um, it depends I... on the bunny and their mood. They're like cats. They have moods. You so... heard you heard me talk about how I love my fish, but also like they're my biggest stress. I get yes. it. Like I get people that love bunnies or any animal. I love all animals. I just hate my children's rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> and the noise that accompanies their narrative. Yes, yes. The rabbit itself is quiet. There was one day we let it out to give it space. And then it took us like 40 minutes to catch it. And I had to like disassemble our bed to get. And I was like, oh, yeah, they never. love going up in box springs. <sighs> <laughs> so i don't stress easy but yeah animals, like fragile animals stress me out especially when their lives are in <laughs> i know well speaking of an animal we we have someone named after a mythical animal maybe once upon a time real to chat about today we do we really do daryl uh daryl is one of my few friends that's been on the podcast multiple times who also is a lover of obscure old Marvel. You and Sarah and uh, Steve Duda, there's a few that I can just go old school with. A lot of my a lot of my guests will be willing to go back if they have to. Yeah. <laughs> but you dwell in this place with me and it makes me happy. So when we were bandying about uh, which character we would like to record on together, uh, we chose a largely uh, non-X character who's only shown up in the X-Men once or twice. But uh, I think the first time you and I connected, I'm trying to remember the first time, but we we, yes. we talked about this guy. He <laughs> was in the very first episode of Grey Malkin that I guested on. Uh, there's a there's a couple issues in the 20s when Roy Thomas takes over where Count Nefaria assembles a group of villains from other titles, including my beloved Porcupine, who I'm getting on my wall soon, by the way. Porcupine. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, Porcupine, Scarecrow, Eel, and uh, and Plant Man. I love them. Yes, all. Plant Man. The... <laughs> The plant gay to rule them all. Oh my God, we have to do an episode on Plant Man too. Yes. Uh, uh, but we uh, we chose to do uh, Mr. Unicorn. I know, and you had me actually read Iron Man comics for this. Like, Tony Stark, I am pretty meh about. Um, and it doesn't matter what iteration. I'm just not that big of a fan. And my first series that I really dove into a lot was Avengers. And even there, I'm like, can he just go like doesn't he have like an alcoholic habit to like build up and then recover from elsewhere out of this title <laughs> um but the nice thing about doing these character profiles with you is that i i could just read the pages that involve the unicorn you i did not need to care about the weird flashbacks or his relationship drama which was I, I adore hosting the regular episodes of my podcast. The trials take me way more work than anything else, of course, because they're huge characters. But uh, these Patreon episodes are a joy because I, I mean, my, my listeners know I love doing the handbook stuff. I've written, yes. over, I've written over a thousand profiles for the appendix. I've done dozens and dozens for the handbooks. So doing these research like based uh, episodes where we just get to nerd out and laugh. It's so fun. This is just like a, a joy. Daryl joined me on the podcast just a couple days ago. And ironically, it won't come out for a few weeks after this Patreon does. But we sat down with Tom Brevoort uh, just a few days ago 
Uh, did you have fun in that episode with Tom? I did. He he has so much knowledge. Like I just want to take him out for whatever food and beverage he would care for and just spend hours chatting or just listening. Like I spent so much of that episode just listening to what he had to say. Yeah, he he gave me like significant librarian energy. Like he knows everything, but also if you step wrong, he's going to tell you to shh. Yeah. <laughs> like I can feel it. Uh, I've known some people who've interned for Tom and I know he has kind of a busy, intense energy, which makes sense because he's managing a ton of stuff. Oh, I know. The, the fact that he spent 90 minutes with us was a huge gift and I've been like nerding out all week over it. Yeah. Like if you even look at everything that he has edited and currently has a hand in, like, I don't know how he keeps everything straight in his head. I mean, that's so many details and uh, I uh, really want to encourage, I'm not going to blow everything for the episode because I think people should really listen to it. But It's amazing. Um, he also has a an interesting stance on canon and um, like you can't nitpick and really it's okay to have a head canon. And that's something that I feel all of us do have. It's basically selective memory and what we choose to add to our favorite characters and what stuff where we're like well that's not on brand for them so I'm just gonna pretend like it didn't happen and it's fine there's a moment in the recording where I ask uh Tom did you just confirm that Juggernaut and Black Tom are married because he made a joke like yeah they've been married for decades and then he's like no don't you take that from what I'm saying because I don't want that out there on the internet I am cracking a joke right now but also the clear implication that if you want to believe that about those two it's okay yeah uh, that whole episode comes across and I'll edit it shortly but it comes across like a crash course in what it's like to maintain uh, the integrity of a fictional universe that has stretched into hundreds of thousands of comic books over decades. It's uh, It was fascinating. Uh, and I and again, I used to write the handbooks. We'd have to run stuff by him and he'd be like, nope, cut that, keep this out. This still belongs. And we'd be like, wait, but that fits. Uh, uh, <laughs> we talked about X-Men First Class as an example. It's a great series by Jeff Parker, but it, we, were, we were told not to include it in character histories. Uh, so if that's the editorial direction, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, okay, so today we're going to focus on Unicorn. Before we even start with this character, I have to note how weird it is that his name is Unicorn. It's yes. a weird, weird thing. Unicorns, uh, my children love the, well, they used to when they were little, love the My Little Pony cartoon, and unicorns have these horns, and they're all magic and cute, and uh, they are rare, and they have like healing properties, uh, I don't remember loving unicorns as a kid necessarily, but I always knew that they were like the mythical creature that you were supposed to love, right? Especially girls. They're they're pink and purple and all rainbow sparkles. <laughs> That's how I associate unicorns in my brain. I recently yeah, had um, I recently had Marcus Onasso on the podcast, who's writing a book where people are like wholesale slaughtering unicorns <laughs> in his comic book, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> What's your association, before even this character, what's your association with unicorns as you think back to your childhood? Well, I think just like something that was back in the medieval era. Um, obviously, there's a princess with one of those cone hats with a giant like veil off of it, off the point of it, just waving in the wind as she's riding one. Um, why they chose to name it Unicorn, it sort of fits with where this came out in publication history. Because you're seeing a lot of tropes on TV and in movies and holdovers, even from the golden age of Hollywood, 
in the early 60s, like you're coming off of their Westerns were big and Western comics were big in the 50s. And they were still in the Marvel line at this time. Um, the sort of like sword and sandal stuff was still sort of kicking around. But then you have the the castle stuff, the medieval stuff. You have um, Errol Flynn as Robin Hood and Olivia, uh, Olivia de Havilland as Maid Marian in the 30s. And it's sort of with the times where this was one of those niches where people were familiar with it. Yeah, so yeah. if they named something unicorn, it would make logical sense not only for how this dude looks, but would be a, a term or a code name that people were like, oh, well, that that fits with our pop culture at the time. Like it's in the cultural zeitgeist that unicorns, yeah, we know what they are. Um, this is gilded simply from a Wikipedia search. I have not verified any of this information, but according to like the encyclopedia online about unicorns, uh, like uh, it's, it's fascinating to know that humans have always created mythical creatures, but unicorns themselves like date back to like cave paintings in 2000 BC with like a lot more popularity in the dark ages when they're in paintings and they're like magic. Unicorn, obviously one horn. So uh, when we were talking to Tom Brevoort, we briefly brought up the character Vanisher, who in his first appearance has like a very snaky costume. And Tom was like, I think, but I can't verify that this character was probably supposed to be King Cobra because look at his costume. But then they named another guy Cobra. So now he became the Vanisher. And you almost wonder where, you know, Stan and Jack were just like cranking out, although it's Stan and Don Heck for this character. They were just cranking out like dozens and dozens of new characters a year. And uh, they always needed new villains to face. And so we have the unicorn. You mentioned Iron Man. Iron Man uh, is thematically in Marvel, the guy who's the tech guy. He's the weapons designer. And it makes sense. Like a lot of his early villains, because this is the Cold War era, a lot of his early villains were Russian in nature. The Fantastic Four and others also faced a lot of Russian villains. Uh, who are some of your favorite Russian uh, villains in early Marvel history. The Red Ghost is easily my favorite. We'll talk about him in a minute. Yes, please cover him. Um, it's hard for me to... I, there are so many. I mean, that it was the Red Scare um, that even bled and, uh, into the 80s. And I just finished up the X-Men versus Avengers miniseries. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, last night, I finally dragged myself through... The last half which is only two issues so it doesn't sound like a lot of work that series was a lot of work to get through um and it, one of the teams is composed all of it soviet superheroes mm -hmm. so um you have them obviously with your mainline focus on mutants um we have a whole slew of russian mutants and russian villains and it, we only have Colossus as a Russian hero that's coming to mind right away. Well, and magic, uh, but uh, yes. but we, I mean, in X-Force right now, like Mikhail Rasputin has, uh, has seceded part of Russia to like be a mutant nation. Like it's a theme that's a lot. In the early books, I think probably the most prominent character was you've got Iron Man in America, right? Representing the industrial age. And one of his biggest foes is first the Crimson Dynamo. So it's like the red yeah. armor guy. And then right after that, the titanium man, because titanium is even bigger than armor. You always want a foe that's bigger than you. Yes. Uh, red Ghost. I love the presence. Uh, if you've ever read Defenders books. Uh, and then we get Darkstar and Vanguard, I think, who are also uh, Russian heroes. Black Widow is Russian. Uh, so we got, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Ursa Major. I love yes. it. Uh, 
god jason aaron has made him just this drunk bear he's great um uh so yeah there, there's there's quite a few uh uh but unicorn is a weird one like why is this guy russian why is <laughs> and uh, and we'll dive into it and uh, we're gonna go through some of it I don't know if we'll return to this point. He does not come off as Russian a whole lot. Like, no, it, they basically they're like, hey, this guy's Russian. And then he has text bubbles like everyone else. And it's referred to once in a while, um, which it comes through a story. But yeah, I don't know. Apart from them needing like a, a cultural villain, like an international villain that people would say, oh, he's Russian, so he's bad when he first came out that must have been the only reason because it doesn't seem to factor into much of what he does yeah he i think uh i think they just had the name and needed to use it they he we'll talk about uh his power horn (laughs) uh i have never given this character much thought but researching his history front to back was fucking fascinating and one of the things that stands out every time i'm doing these patreon episodes i walk away from them thinking "Ooh, i want to write a story about this guy uh, like uh, what I recorded with Steve Duda, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to put grotesque in a team book now. Like, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and some people hear you say research an entire character, and that can seem daunting. And from an outsider perspective, researching Unicorn and reading through his stuff wasn't a whole lot. Like a lot of these obscure people, they don't have a lot of appearances. Yeah, you get so, to like, you get to fill in the blanks. Whereas to, Havoc took me like two months to research. Yes. Um, but you can develop an appreciation for these characters and an affection for them, even reading like 20 or less issues with them in it. Um, that That's what makes us the kind of fans we are, I guess. And, well, and every writer that, who has used this character has ideally picked up where he's come from and tried to expand on it. But we'll see. Uh, this this character disappears for a long time. Ooh. And every appearance after is fucking weird. <laughs> and it, it surprises me. He was gone for so long that they wanted to bring him back like we'll get there but it was very surprising like oh well uh interesting choice i love i love a writer that does a deep dig people like christopher cantwell and jed mckay are doing this so frequently in the comics now and i am here for it uh god jed mckay just used wax man in a in an issue of uh of moon knight and that was a character that showed up and fought spider spider woman one time i love that shit anyway uh let's uh let's talk about unicorn so he first shows up in may 1964 stanley don heck it's tales of suspense number 56 which is the old split book that iron man was a part of before he launched his own series uh on the cover they call him the uncanny unicorn uh describe if you have access to it daryl describe his initial costume for us it, it changes oh, quite a few times over the years he's yeah like, he's like copper harness <laughs> like uh like green robes uh weird headpiece that like extends over his ears uh with like vents over his eyes and like uh like a bulb that rises out of it that like can shoot energy which is like uh like, I think that that's the only reference to any sort of unicorn is the fact that he has this, like, thing that comes out the top of his hat that can shoot shit at you. Yeah, it it reminds me of the old school deep sea diving rig. Um, oh, sure. That, that they would put people into if they wanted them to sink, to go to the bottom of whatever body of water they were exploring. Like, oh, put on this gigantic suit with this window in front of your face best of luck, we'll haul you up in three hours or just give a tug. Um, 
And Unicorn has more changes than Cher during one of her concerts and probably has more headpieces <laughs> than she does. Um, I think that's a very, very good assumption. He's wearing a, a, a tunic. Um, if he wasn't wearing pants, it would be a, a, a skort sort of situation. Um, and, and it's all green. Yeah, the, the name for the unicorn just comes from his power horn, um, which is right now in this first appearance mounted on the top of his head. So it's not out of where you would picture a horn growing out of a forehead. It's sort of on top, like he's going to go mining after this. So I'm going to jump ahead. There's a, there's a period of about 30 years where the unicorn doesn't show up at all. And, uh, during that absence is when Mark Grenwald uh, launched the uh, Mar- the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I just got to interview Elliot Brown on the podcast. If you haven't heard that episode, it's all about the handbooks. It's lovely. Uh, wealth, wealth of information. But they give us a lot of context for Unicorn in his handbook entry. So before we even start with his first appearance, let me jump to the handbook part for just a minute. He shows up in his entry and it's, it's considered canon because it's part of the encyclopedia. But we basically learn that he is a Russian agent. His real name is M-I-L-O-S, pronounced Milos uh, Masaryk. And I am not going to attempt a Russian accent because I will end up sounding like Wheeler from the Captain Planet cartoon. Mm. (laughs) Not Wheeler. What's her name? The Russian girl. Uh, Wheeler's the redheaded American kid. She'd be like, Wheeler! Like, anyway, I'm not going to try it. (laughs) Uh, but his name is Milos Masaryk. Uh, we learn that his birthplace is in Bratislava, Czechoslovakia. And just side note, the first president of Czechoslovakia was a guy named Masaryk. So uh, they probably picked that name from there. Uh, Milos has been working as a lab assistant under Anton Vanko, who is the original Crimson Dynamo, who would later defect from Russia to the United States. Uh, and uh, Anton, while working with Milos, gave him this new invention he made, which is like a unicorn suit. So it'd be like Iron Man giving a buddy uh, a suit to wear or uh, you know, Hank Pym passing on some growth stuff to Bill Foster. Uh, he's, he's the buddy that gets the suit. And uh, then Milos starts training as a Russian agent. So that's kind of all the context we get for backstory and we don't get it for a long time. But in his first appearance, he is a Russian agent who has been sent to infiltrate Stark Industries uh, and attack Iron Man. He's uh, he's supposed to humiliate Iron Man and stop military production. Again, it's a Cold War era story. Uh, he shoots Happy Hogan, he who I love. He takes Pepper Potts hostage, who I also love her. Uh, uh, he tells Pepper he trained in Russia for years. Um, and uh, he's, his goal is to just fight the powers of the West, which they sent a lot of agents over to do at that time, including Black Widow. Uh, he rants about his powers. He's got like magnets. He can fire blasts and create force fields. Uh, and he calls himself, quote, the world's greatest fighting, the greatest living fighting machine. Uh, do you think that is a <laughs> an accurate depiction? Is he the world's greatest fighting machine? No, absolutely not. If he was, he wouldn't have disappeared for 30 years. <laughs> he's, Which he's there not- are reasons. We will get to the reasons what happened to him well uh, yeah this is before he goes fucking insane but he's yeah. uh he's kind of a formidable threat in that he really pushes hard he, he's he's pretty savage anyway he sets some bombs up he's got some flight jets he battles iron man uh he demands that iron man surrender and like come back to europe with him 
but uh, once Iron Man gets on the plane with him, he's like, uh, I, I know I promised to go with you, so you de-escalate the hostage situation, but never mind, and uh, like just destroys the plane and Unicorn escapes on boot jets. That's kind of a quick summary of his first appearance, which is pretty great, actually. It's a fun read. Tell me your thoughts on that uh, Tales of Suspense 56 read. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty decent. It's an early 60s Marvel story, and at that point, they wanted you to get your money's worth. They weren't so focused on... Um, I mean, they didn't have the burden of canon or anything like that. So they could just have fun and play in a sandbox. And they were with this issue um, where it, it, the last panel with Unicorn uh, during that battle is that he flies away with his boot jets. And he's like, well, they don't know that I can fly. So, you know, he's going to be back. That's what you want. You want a little tease like that because you don't know when this unicorn dude may show up again. Uh, next time he shows up is in the Fantastic Four annual where Reed and Sue are getting married. Doctor Doom has built this like machine that makes all these villains show up and Unicorn is one of a couple dozen. It's a very quick appearance. Uh, the only thing notable is that he does spar with the X-Men briefly. He shoots his power horn at him. And uh, after that, we get him in X-Men uh, 2223, which is a, a, a super fun uh, little campy read, which is, again, kind of a, kind of an escalating threat with... Uh, with fucking Count Nefaria, who I guarantee we're going to do some focus on on my podcast at some point, because this is the guy that also killed Thunderbird, right? Yes. Count Nefaria and his Annie men. Uh, although the only redeemable character is Dragonfly, who I love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit, if you are willing, Daryl, about uh, what happens with Unicorn and his cronies in, uh, in the X-Men appearances. I mean, they get their asses handed to them. If I recall correctly, I'm pulling up the issues right now because I rely, I'm relying on my memory from that first time we recorded. But um... yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a quick plot summary and then you can share your thoughts. Count Nefaria has recruited Unicorn and a few other villains. He is has them fight the X-Men to lure them in. And then he wants to make the X-Men his scapegoats. They put like a dome over Washington, D.C., demand $100 million uh, or they'll keep everyone trapped inside and then send the X-Men to fetch the money so they'll be blamed. And uh, Unicorn and the others like get their asses handed to them pretty quickly. But Unicorn is almost the biggest threat in the group. He almost gets away with it, but he he kind of gets captured. Uh, Count Nefaria has no powers at this point, so he has to rely on, you know, Plant Man and Porcupine to do, <laughs> to do his job for him. Uh, but uh, this is also where he first calls his, his helmet his power horn. Uh, do you have a power horn, Daryl? I... I mean, you'd have to ask others <laughs> about that. Um, I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, so you're right. Uni he's clearly a power top. <laughs> the unicorn, you're right. He seems to be the smartest of all of these henchmen. Um, he hides in the bushes and isn't caught by the soldiers. And he makes it all the way to the end of the book. Um where he almost, he's confronting Count Nefaria and he's going to turn on him. And then what they were after disappears. So um, it it's a good campy issue. Like you said, if you really want to just have fun with some random villains, I recommend both of these issues because, uh, and then you, you get weird Professor X shit. 
where he has mechanical legs um but he's also like, like hiding it with a hat and glasses and mysteriously he wears gloves like jackie kennedy um it, for no reason like no one they can look at his face and see that he's a white man so i'm not sure what the white gloves are doing to hide his identity a, a couple issues later professor x puts on a hermit costume and uses his walking suit to sneak up on the locust for literally no reason he doesn't need to the locust doesn't know him and then he gets close and he pulls this beard off and he's like it's me fucker ha like it's, there's no re like it's ridiculous but uh the closer we get to the claremont stuff on my podcast the more i'm gonna have to say about professor x because uh there's, there's a lot about this guy that we we will talk about in the future he's um, so weird he's just so weird like at this point where you are with your read through where he's dead um he he's just weird like there are odd things going on that don't make sense for someone who is so smart and rich and affluent as he is like things are a little off i just did uh and you probably haven't had a chance to listen but i just did a patreon on the changeling last uh last sunday and uh my whole understanding of the professor x's dead story is completely different after recording that episode uh i love the story now but it's because of a novel that was written about the changeling years after he died anyway go listen it's 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 uh it's a lot of uh, fascinating content uh unicorn only fights the x-men this one time and everything after in his publication history is defined on what happens next so iron man has had his own title launched it's 1968 archie goodwin's now writing we see unicorn out of his mask for the first time he's back in the soviet union and they are pissed uh i want to i want to like step inside this story and give context here it's almost like there's, there's some sort of situation where they're like holding his family hostage. Like you better go destroy Iron Man or we will murder everyone you've ever loved. Like this guy has this motivation to submit to their will. We know nothing about his personality, really, truly. Uh, and there's a lot to learn about this character. I think if you go back in this era and care enough to tell the story, but he's basically submitted uh, to be brainwashed and they're using this thing called a hyperactivator ray which is most, mostly meant to kind of like boost you, your skills, your intellect. It's like, a, it's like an electronic methamphetamine is almost what it comes across as. But they've used it way too much. And they have like done a permanent shift in his, uh, his strength and vitality have been like boosted beyond his limits and capacities. But they also know it's going to significantly reduce his lifespan. So they don't give a shit about this guy. They just zap him full of like mutant growth hormone, basically. Yeah. And uh, they're like, we don't care. Uh, they also give him a new costume. Describe his uh, his new costume for us. All right. Well, first we know it's the unicorn because there is the unicorn insignia on his chest and an upside down black triangle. He's sticking with the green as his primary color. But now we have branding. He has a logo. He does. Um, this is probably the era. Well, a little bit after this is where everyone had their name in special fonts. So they'd be like, and it's Mr. Fantastic with a little copyright circle next to it. Like where they could probably do this with the unicorn if they really wanted to. He's in green spandex. So no longer a scort man. He is just fully in green, black trunks. He has um, a belt with some dials on it. That That's important. 
Um, and his helmet is orange, as are his gloves and his boots. And the way the ray is positioned now is not so much from the top of his head, but is coming from sort of his forehead region. Yeah, yeah. And things get fucking weird for this guy for the rest of the like next 60 years. He's, yeah, he's, it's crazy. Fifth, and it, this is where we see the start of the manipulation of this person. I mean, he, uh, I don't know if they were striving to create a sympathetic character, but I feel they did unintentionally throughout like the next 10 years of publication history well and he's insane he's been insane forever since then it's the it's the classic story and i don't know archie goodwin but it's the classic story of uh i don't know it's you know captain america turned out right but how many versions of captain america turned out wrong the government the government's trying to give somebody boosted powers but he goes crazy and turns against them which is literally what happens in this story he turns against the superiors He's obsessed with power. So he kidnaps a bunch of scientists that can like make his life longer because he's sacrificed all this shit with, with what they did to him. And uh, Iron Man like fights him. And uh, there's there's a quote I wrote down where he says, against my full strength, my entire weight, my blazing power horn, you manage to raise a resisting arm, no matter my might will force it down or see it broken, which is so rapey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh but uh at the end of this battle like they have an aerial battle and he just like disappears into the ocean he he's zapped and it's one of those like oh the villain's gone i bet he's dead but of course he's not uh but this is a harsh turn for a character that nobody cares about and everything after this is him being crazy or being uh or trying to like overcome the effects of this hyperactivator ray um thoughts on this story before we jump forward I mean, it, it, it's sort of callous what they did with the powering up of his character. They knew they were creating a temporary weapon that, hey, we're going to see if this turns out and we can throw this person at our enemies. Um, but at what cost? And we're going to find out what cost. Um, yeah. They, and just like any evil scientist, like they did not anticipate some of the things happening, but did they care not really no and the uh, goodwin keeps the story going uh literally 11 issues later iron man 1516 unicorn has been recruited by ivan kragoff the red ghost uh so this is a fantastic four villain who is just a icon if i had to list my top 25 marvel villains of all time red ghost is on the list i love this guy he's really? an old He's an old man with like bald head, uh, like clown hair down his back. He's uh, he's all dressed in red. He is obsessed with apes and he has powered up a team of what he calls his super apes to. Uh... <laughs> God, I fucking love this guy. Uh, he's powered up the super apes to be like versions of the Fantastic Four. And he wants to like run the world, basically. If you haven't ever read this character, he's amazing. But uh, in this issue, he has recruited the unicorn and like uh, gotten him back to health and promised to like help stabilize him after he got this like madness or the hyperactivator thing that's making him die sooner. And uh, he he says that he's given Unicorn like a serum uh, that will wear off unless Unicorn does exactly as he says. And he sends him with the super apes to attack Iron Man. This is not a super ape podcast. <laughs> no, and the, the super apes, you can clearly see Marvel is like, oh, Planet of the Apes was a hit movie. 
we better have some super apes up in here. Like this was published um, the year following the first Planet of the Apes movie. So, and when we're talking super apes, like one of them changes shape. There's like an orangutan with like magnetic abilities, and like it's big fucking gorilla. Like they're great. They're great. I love them. They've been used a ton in Fantastic Four comics. I think the X Men have even fought them a time or two, but I'd have to verify. Um, anyway, they're they're not a huge part of this story, but uh, but they're amazing. Uh, in this story, though, uh, uh, the like building blows up. Iron Man and Unicorn are trapped inside, and Red Ghost reveals, like, I was lying to you the whole time, you bitch. Like, I never gave you a serum that would help. And Unicorn has to work with Iron Man in this story to like escape from this collapsed building. It's actually a pretty intense story, given that it's like the late sixties, uh, but. I, I, I enjoyed this read quite a bit. Uh, the the, uh, the super apes turn against the red ghost for the first of many times. He's defeated. Uh, Unicorn grabs him and flies off. And he's like, you're going to help me find a cure. And uh, that's that's kind of where Unicorn goes here. Tell me, tell me about this story. Well, you say the apes aren't a big part of it, but they do play a big part in the enjoyment of the issue, as you alluded to. Um, and... It, Red Ghost being sort of a proto-disco daddy. I mean, he has the medallion. He has that outfit slashed to like the navel. Um, even his few wisps of hair on the side of his head are done. Like he he put some thought into how he's appearing. Um, the serum, I mean, even from the beginning, I did not buy that he actually gave him something legit. He was just using unicorn which is something that it's a theme it is thematic of, of unicorn's publication history that he is always being but used and this is the latest person who is using him um especially in these iron man issues it the way that he disappears every time every time and then is brought back and it's written off like haha uh oh, I was just in the ocean, but I emerged. And you're like, oh, we're just taking that at face value. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, it makes me wonder how he, what's his social network looking like? How is he getting connected to these people? <laughs> um, as someone who recently rejoined LinkedIn after like a decade, just because I know that I'm going to need it for some of my projects that I'm working on. Um, is there an evil LinkedIn um is our disco daddy on there what is he using for his profile pic um i think i think he's dead in the current books red ghost i just looked it up red ghost did fight the x-men in x-men volume 2 176 which crossed over with black panther volume 4 number 9 we don't have to go there but this is a villain that's shown up like 75 times in uh you know he's not mr sinister level appearances by any means but he's a beloved fantastic four villain i love so it I think what you're saying is that we need to contact Josh and have him put on the list with Porcupine. <laughs> uh, so this is a, an early spoiler. Josh Trujillo and I are going to be doing an episode on Porcupine soon, uh, which is, oh, good God, don't get me started. I love him. He's one of my, one of my top favorites. And ever. another tragic figure. Really, he's pathetic, but also yes. kind of savage in the stupidest way. We'll, we'll, I'll save my commentary yes. on him. But oh, I, yes, yes. I am so looking forward to that episode. So people, I, if you're enjoying this, you will enjoy that one so much more because Josh, I know, 
loves porcupine so well it's porcupine and right before that i'm doing solar with steve fox so we, i'm doing the, the, these three non-x villains who all have x history in some way anyway uh, long story short uh unicorn uh unicorn is gone for a minute he comes back in 1973 iron man 5758 in uh steve gerber who just wrote craziness this is the howard oh, the duck guy gerber is fucking nuts like i love him i love what he does because it's so bizarre and off the wall sometimes you don't know what to expect because he has a character in man thing that's a wizard that lives inside of a jar of peanut butter like this he does he he's like i mean i can't say this for a fact but he's like on drugs like new new york hippie like yes. let's hang out and get high and write craziness oh it's like get high or like i'm gonna take this tab of acid I have my notepad in front of me and tomorrow morning I, I'm going to wake up and read what I wrote and that's going to be my script. But also, yes, but also publish it. Uh, so yes. the, the cover here promises us that we, this is terrible math. It says 10 rings of doom, referring to the Mandarin, one horn of destruction. Together, people, they spell double death. It's 10 rings and one horn does not make double anything. It makes 11 somethings. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and Or maybe like one thing if the rings are big enough to hang on the horn. So Unicorn is in yet another new costume. Uh, he is this time, like the, the power horn is right in the middle of his forehead. So it's like almost like a third eye. He's got this, uh, the unicorn insignia is like flanked in black on his chest. He's all in orange and black. This is my favorite of his costumes so far. Uh, it looks a little bit more like traditional superhero-y, but also like clear branding for him. I, uh, I, I like this interpretation of him. And we learn here that the unicorn went to the Mandarin for help. He recognizes that his, his mind is deteriorating. He's not doing well. Uh, and then basically he's brain dead. And Mandarin, who is like the classic Iron Man arch nemesis from, uh, from uh, you know, the Mandarin China. Uh, and there's a lot of racist portrayals of this Oh, yes, there are. Uh, Problematic yeah. portrayals of this character. Yellow Claw is worse. <laughs> but, uh, but Mandarin has now basically using his rings to control Unicorn's form and make him fight Iron Man. And during the <laughs> during the battle against Steve Gerber, uh, during the battle, Mandarin accidentally puts his own mind in Unicorn's body and is trapped there. So now <laughs> Unicorn's dead mind is in Mandarin's body. Mandarin is, is now occupying the body of the unicorn, and he's like, "Oh no, the hyperactivator ray is making me comatose. I have to go get help." And yeah, and he away. like flies away, clutching the other body. He's like, "Fuck! Well, bye, guys." <laughs> <laughs> like jets off it, it's it's a great story it's fun it's campy it's everything i want from a steve gerber iron man story frankly yeah and it, um again you're making me read iron man issues you're and welcome. there's like there's this worker unrest i love it like they just want their company to be better they want to be treated better um like, good for them but then we see like eventually they just roll over and they're like so, oh, no. 
we, we move up another year out. Mike Friedrich has taken over the book. And by the way, Mike Friedrich is coming up on my podcast soon. Uh, Ooh, uh, if you, you should know ask him about this specifically. Uh, you know, it may be on my list. Uh, Mike Friedrich brings Unicorn back, but this time uh, the costume's green and orange. I still like it, but a little less. Uh, green and orange is not a great color combination for me. Although I don't know why orange uh, is ever good. Only supervillains wear orange. If you're in orange, you're a supervillain. 100%. Green and orange is a very 1970s color combination. Ugh, hate it. Uh, but still, a Mandarin's still stuck in his body, and he's like gone to a submarine where he is trying to figure out how to fix this body he's trapped in. This is this is the power of like an ancient, powerful, intelligent Chinese man trapped in a <laughs> deteriorating body of a Russian agent. Uh, he's trying to cure himself. He ends up fighting Iron Man uh, and there's this whole thing with Yellow Claw in China. It, it's not a big deal. Then Sunfire comes into it. Uh, Mandarin manipulates him, like gathers all of this energy that he needs to transfer his own mind back into his own body. And then he thinks Unicorn is dead. Unicorn's back in his body. The underwater base explodes. Uh, but I bet you were surprised to see Sunfire here. Was that a pleasant surprise for you? It was, and uh, I mean, Sunfire, Sunfire is very spicy as a character. Mm -hmm. um, He's always. an asshole. He's such an asshole. <laughs> yes. Um, he always has been an asshole. Um, and he showed up, and um, where we're getting, like, the, the mixed slash not understanding of Asian cultures, where they're like, oh, well... Sunfire's here. He's going to protect another Asian country. Like, it was like, oh, we have a, an Asian mutant. We're going to toss him in here as a tertiary character to the story. Uh, Iron Man, well, Marvel in general was not great at uh, racial representation back then. Lots of, lots of diverse characters, but uh, I mean, you take three Asian characters like Sunfire, Mandarin, and Yellowclaw, and they're all very different, but there's racist problematic portrayals with all three. We'll eventually do the trial of Sunfire on my podcast, but not for a minute because he hasn't come up in the books yet. Uh, he's yeah, a later edition in the 60s books. And this is, uh, I believe, where they're tying in Vietnam. Um, mm -hmm. so, which has now been which has now been rewritten as the Sian Kong conflict because uh, you know Marvel's sliding time scale. So the you have like Vietnam, you have Sunfire from Japan, you have Mandarin who's Chinese. Like it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> There's but, a lot. But for our X Men listeners, if you didn't know, Sunfire who has basically you know, an atomic sun power. <laughs> his power was used to transfer uh, Unicorn's mind back into his body. There you know, there's a little little side trivia for you, for you X-Men Sunfire fans. Um, uh, Sunfire, uh, again, well, this is one of his very earliest appearances. He's not a super integral part of this story. It's kind of a fun story. I do like Mike Friedrich. This is not my favorite. Uh, but Unicorn's back in his body. That's the thing that matters most. Yes. Uh, and then uh, and then we go to uh, Bill Mantlo taking over. We love Bill Mantlo. Uh, Iron Man 113 through 115. I made you read a lot of Iron Man comic books. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, this is in 1978. Uh, Unicorn is in another new costume. Do you have that one handy? Tell us what he's wearing here. I am going to pull it up right now. What I really enjoyed about this run of issues, though, is that it ties into Avengers. And... I love the Avengers. I love the Avengers during this time period. 
Um, yeah, this is 1978. Great, great Avengers stuff at this time. Oh, absolutely. Like, they hit their stride here. Um, I listened to an Avengers podcast called The Avenging Hour. Okay. Um, and they are so on point with their analysis. And we just reached, like, 1986. And, ooh, do the Avengers, like, they fall off steeply for a while. As yeah. do most we're doing a focused panel discussion soon on my podcast all about mind control being used for sexual assault and we get to cover that ms marvel has uh is basically raped by the scarlet centurion and then gives birth to him that's yes. during that era but in 1978 the avengers were amazing <laughs> yeah yes this is the lead up to that because that's issue 200 i mm -hmm. believe yeah yeah um where they're like oh it's the anniversary issue we should do something big they certainly did <laughs> One of the most infamously awful, awful, like awful Me Too comics of all time. Again, we'll we'll do some more conversation about that another yeah. time. Unicorn, though, in this issue. So he has an even bigger unicorn on the front of his uniform. It's like his whole shirt. It is the whole shirt. It is almost like um, when Polo did like their symbol, like the Polo horse, except... I feel in the early 2000s, they're like, let's make the polo horse the entire shirt. It's definitely that vibe where it's a whole unicorn. We have the pumpkin orange background. He has um, thigh high green boots showing off really nice calves. Um, he has uh, long green gloves and the unicorn horn is now protruding as a horn, a cone shape. It used to be a rectangle shape. And now it's a cone shape coming out of where it would be if he had an actual horn. And it's more focused. So that cone comes almost to a point so he can focus his powers out of it and aim it. And uh, if you, I think this is his scariest costume, even though he gets really fucking weird in the 2000s. I think this is like that big black unicorn design, like that emblem, like makes him a little bit more startling. But basically in this issue, he fights Iron Man again. You learn he's being controlled by the Titanium Man, who is a, a big Iron Man villain. We'll get into him. I don't know. This isn't an Iron Man podcast. But he's, again, he's meant to be like the next level of Iron Man. Because what's bigger than Iron Titanium, right? He's this massive suit of armor. He's kind of a scary, like big giant green guy. He's, uh, he's controlling Unicorn. We learn that he pulled him out of the ocean where he got his mind back. And he helps stabilize him. And he has promised him a cure if he helps to fight Iron Man. Uh, but of course, he turns on him. Unicorn is just a tool. Uh, Unicorn is then taken by Iron Man back to Avengers Mansion, where he can get some medical help. Uh, but when he's revived, Titanium Man then again manipulates him into fighting the Avengers. In the end, he ends up landing in the basement where he like awakens this giant fucking robot that Tony Stark's dad built called Arsenal. Again, well, that's another conversation. Uh, and he's badly wounded by Arsenal and basically falls into a coma and is put into stasis. Uh, that's yeah. kind of like this guy is like now we feel sorry for him. He's been like multiple times in a row, like three villains in a row, Red Ghost and then Mandarin and then Titanium Man. And they're all like foreign power villains who are like, we will help you if you help us. And then like, never mind, fuck you. I'm going to leave you to blow up or die. Uh, like I have a little sympathy for him here. Poor guy. Yeah, he's being used and abused. Um, in this run of Iron Man, I didn't know that like Tony Stark was a banging madam mask um and you get a jack of hearts cameo which i love i mean 
Jack of Hearts is a low-key favorite of mine, and I can't tell you why. He just is. Yeah, I wish I liked Jack of Hearts and yeah. Madame Mask. I don't really care for either of them, if I'm honest, but I do like some stories with them. And the current She-Hulk series by Rainbow Roll has lots of Jack of Hearts. I love this series, but I still don't like the character much. I I, maybe if I researched him, I'd like him more. But yeah, probably. I I love that you like him. (laughs) I love the same characters. That's okay. Right, exactly. Um, But yeah, he is just being used by another supervillain again. He is constantly a tool of others and not really in control of his own destiny. He's ultimately, I feel, just trying to get better. He wants to get better, and the way that he's being manipulated is everyone saying, oh, well, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. And no one has that actual intention of helping him. Well, and writer after writer are telling the same story of this guy. So he's initially an agent. He gets, like, corrupted by this Ray, and then it's just multiple story of him, like, desperately trying to get better. Uh, we get one more appearance of him before he disappears. So David Michelini, who, I, again, we love, uh, has brought Unicorn back. It's Iron Man number 154. It is 1982. Uh, we learn that, like, he's been in stasis, basically. Iron Man just put him in, like, some unit and left him there. Because, you know, that's what superheroes do. Uh, he He puts him in stasis. There's some sort of electronic power surge that wakes him up. But it also, like, miraculously stopped him from degenerating any further. Like It was just so weird. Like, what what is this scientific explanation? <laughs> I mean, we had a character once who was standing in some sand and a zap hit him. And now he's, I now I'm Sandman. Like, this True. is this is comic book superhero shit, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, now he's stabilized. But he's still kind of insane. Uh, he puts a lab assistant in stasis in his place. And then he's like immediately, I like, I must fight Iron Man because somehow he still wants to serve the Titanium Man. He's still clearly insane. Yes. Uh, he's he's riding some sort of weird electronic air sled. He has a pretty savage battle with Iron Man and like threatens a bunch of civilians. Uh, but in the end, Iron Man's like, you should go find Titanium Man. He's in Russia. And what does the unicorn do? He takes the most direct route to Russia, which is walking straight into the ocean. And Iron Man, because this battle was so brutal, he didn't have enough power to get up and stop him. And he's like, oh, I don't have enough power. Uh, well, well, there he goes. Yeah, he's like, like I'm going to walk to Russia. So he just walks into the ocean and like glub, glub, glub disappears for 30 years. Like, no one picks up this villain for until, like, 2011. He's gone. Yeah. Uh, Which is such a weird, tragic, but also, like, kind of satisfying ending for him. (laughs) Yeah, and, I mean, his helmet, in case people listening don't know what it looks like, it's more of a cowl. So his, his mouth and nose are open. There's no way he can breathe underwater. Um the sky sled not really surprised because i am in my avengers read through which is taking me decades at this point um there's there's a couple thousand comic books i'm in that 1986 era where black knight is going around on like a flying electronic steed so i did not bat an eye i hate dane whitman (laughs) (laughs) um so the whiniest son of a bitch i mean i love that about him but he's 
so him pulling up, they like destroy some warehouses and Tony in the middle of this battle is like, oh, we're going to set back our delivery schedule. Um, there's a ship. Uh, it's a lot happening. This battle is knocked down, drag out. And it is a fitting way, I feel, for a supervillain to go out. You want them to go out in a big battle. It was just an interesting way, but very on par for how Unicorn is written, that he just walks into the water to get to Russia. It's... This, this character is pathetic. He's been yes. exploded. He's been put in stasis. He's been tossed aside. Nobody cares about him. He is nobody's favorite villain or anywhere on anyone's list. But you would think that him walking into the ocean would just be the story ending until he appears the next time. But no one ever uses him again. No, uh, It's not until Ed Brubaker's Captain America in 2011 that we see him. And it's almost the end of Ed Brubaker's run. He's revived Bucky. He's done all of this crazy shit with the Red Skull and the Cosmic Cube. I love, love Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America. In fact, we just talked to Tom Brevoort about this uh, a couple of days ago, you and I. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. And uh, Bucky, or the Winter Soldier, has been tossed in, a, in the gulag in a Russian prison where the prisoners are kind of running amok and they're having like arena style fights for people to like prove themselves and uh, uh, this is where we see Unicorn again. It's three decades later, Captain America number 619. 619, that's such a high number. <laughs> it is. And uh, uh, Unicorn, like something has happened to this guy. It's almost hard to believe this is the same character. He is thick. He is like big tummy, shirtless, bald guy super strong like thick biceps and shoulders and if that is your type you will be living for this guy but he's also been mutated he's got like a literal third eye growing between his other eyes and the eye can fire energy blasts so before we go on with this story daryl what happened to to milos he walked into the ocean and then showed up 300 pounds in a I, russian prison yeah i have no clue like I appreciate that Brubaker wanted to use him and it was a known quantity. Um, and within the context of the story, you don't have the luxury of saying where he came from or why he's here. Like, he's just in prison and that's it. Um, I want to know who did this to him. Why did they do it? Uh, it was a very confusing, but he obviously has a fan club at this prison, so I'm happy for him um this is not his first battle at the gulag um and that was it like he was in uh, this part like part of this issue and that's it so i worked for the handbooks and if i and i didn't but if i was writing the entry on this character i would have to start because we had like a group chat going with all the handbook writers i'd have to be like okay what happened to this guy and i would propose some sort of theory and editorial would likely not let me fill in the blanks here. They would make me write it as like, the next time we see Unicorn, he appears in a Russian prison. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they can let you fill in the blanks. Sometimes they'll let you say something like, a scientist grabbed him and ran further experiments. Or, uh, you know, the hyperactivator ray interacted with the Unicorn helmet in such a way. It's also possible he's always had this third eye, like under the skin, whenever they experimented on him with the hyperway, they may have done something that gave him actual superpowers. It's not yeah. just a tech suit, but something happened because this guy's no longer just a tech guy. He's now got like Cyclops powers. He can shoot fucking blasts out of his, out of his eye and it gets weirder. 
but it, in the in the gulag he uh he fights inmates for fun he's like basically kind of running the prison along with some other guys and unicorn like barely talks he shoots some energy blasts out and then like bucky barnes trips tricks him into like uh shooting at some pipes which then explodes the prison and he escapes like it's almost a forgotten i love that brubaker brought him back i think it's a fun deep dig like who can we throw in the gulag ursa major is also there if i'm remembering uh but uh yeah i i like this unicorn i think he's really fucking scary this he is. massive guy with the third eye he's creepy as fuck here yeah i mean someone fished him out of that water at some point and he couldn't have survived down there by himself without powers that we haven't had explained to us. So um, I imagine that Iron Man just turned away and then immediately someone in a speedboat came by and fished Unicorn out of the water back in 1982. Or Unicorn waited till Iron Man was like unconscious and then just walked back out like, fuck you. But he ended up arrested in prison somehow. I don't yeah. know what happened. Uh, and then he goes through big changes. Did you get a chance to look at the Infinity Heist series? It's such I a did. weird um, I uh, I didn't read all of the particulars of every issue. I definitely looked at whenever mm -hmm. our friend was in. Yeah, yeah. Issue, so this is during this is during the like big Inhumans push, right after Infinity, uh, when there's like the big Thanos war happening, and like all the builders are on Earth, and the Inhumans have like sent out their Terrigen mist bombs all over the place. Frank Thierry does a great job. This is 2013. He does a great job of using obscure villains, often to great effect, but sometimes not to popular effect. For example, Thierry did the Weapon X series, where we get characters like Mesmero and Wild Child in the spotlight, but also concentration camps and like the callous murders of beloved characters. Uh, but I like Thierry. I like how Thierry loves his villains. And it's like he hand-selected some villains that he really loves. We get Whirlwind, we get Blizzard, we get Titanium Man and Firebrand. And like he picks these characters that are that are great. Uh, tell us what he does with Unicorn and the Infinity Heist. Ooh, um, well, first of all, Unicorn does not look like we just saw him in Ed Brubaker's Captain America. Um, he is back... I would say he's even smaller than he was in the 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. He shed frame. like 170 pounds between appearances. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has a new uniform. And I'm trying to bring up a good image so I can describe it. Because the issue I was in just had his head, which the unicorn horn also looks way different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's got his hair back here. He's skinny. And the weird thing here is his eye, he can now feed it. He yes. like puts things in his eye to feed it and he calls it his spot. He has like a relationship where he talks to the third eye on his forehead and he's almost played off comedically, but he's so gross here. And uh, he's insane. Yes. He's he's feeding spot in apple teeny through a straw. Are you enjoying that, that apple teeny spot? He says. Yes. Ugh. And there's a little dribble coming out of the side of Spot. Yeah, he so so picture everybody. He's got a third eye in between his two eyes. He's putting a straw into it. It's an eye, and it's drinking it, and he's talking to it, and it's gross. It's like um, do you remember that character Johnny D, uh, the mutant guy who has like the face growing on his abdomen and oh yeah things to it. That's that's the energy this guy gives me. The this version of Unicorn. He's so gross. 
Yeah, and as you say throughout the series, he's used more for comedic effect um, because it's basically a, the supervillain team coming together. And that that's the premise you need to understand. So uh, Unicorn is in the background a lot. Um, maybe saying a one-liner or something like that through subsequent issues. Yeah, like the plot of this doesn't even really matter. He's just one of the villains. The only thing significant he does there's a character that's supposed to be Titanium Man, but it's actually the Kree guy, Captain Atlas. And there's one spot where like uh, Unicorn blasts him. And then he says, he says that the spot likes the flavor of this alien guy. I'm like, what? Again, <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. I <sighs> No, I, whoever has to handle his continuity at some point more power to you because it's almost, it's almost like mr sinister got his hands on him yeah and how are you going to handle explaining his appearance in captain america in the middle of all this i mean that you have a traditional villain who walks into the ocean shows up and is huge and then is small again it's almost like they'll have to consider the captain america unicorn unicorn two or something like that yeah, or he went through some sort of mutation like somebody yeah. zapped him with something and you can do that in comics all the time oh, it just yeah. it just means you have to do it a scroll got him uh you know injected him with something and then it wore off i mean it's easy to fix continuity but you just have to do it because otherwise there's no explanation uh we get unicorn back again uh in 2016 although it's kind of possible this is a different guy he he robs an armored truck and fights the new gay giant man like that's really all you need and then he's picked up by Christopher Cantwell in the most recent Iron Man series, the one that's still being published, which is wonderful if you haven't read it. Tons of I, obscure villains. Have, have you read it? No, I have not because it's Iron Man. So, yeah, but but... It's, it's good though. There's Hellcat and Gargoyle from the Defenders and there's like a Stiltman arc, uh, which Whoa. is so good. Frogman shows up prominently. Misty Knight's in it. Ooh. Uh, and it's all about like it's all about ego. Iron Man in this current series is just basically seeing himself as a god. He's larger than life. He's come back from the dead. And it's him wrestling with what it means to consider yourself godlike. It's basically a series about narcissism. And the counterpoint for Iron Man, at least for the first dozen issues or so, is Korvac, who's the old Avengers villain, like the robot guy who has god powers. And the two of them have recruited teams. Korvac has recruited a bunch of obscure villains like uh, Controller and Cardiac and Unicorn and Blizzard. And he's basically controlling their minds into being the perfect agents. It's kind of like that, like the rapture thing. If you give yourself to God, he will He will contain you. Iron Man's, uh, Iron Man's brought together a bunch of disparate allies and they're fighting back and forth. And uh, Unicorn shows up a few times. He fights them on Earth, he fights them in space, but eventually Korvac is defeated. Unicorn's not super central to this title, but we do see him back in a kind of healthier space, if you can call it that, in that he's kind of back in his original suit. Uh, he's got the, the old types of powers back. Uh, again, it feels like a different character, but in this case, you have Korvac kind of mind controlling everybody. So it sure. makes sense. Uh, I don't know. Did you get a chance to look at, uh, at Unicorn in this title at all? Any thoughts here? No, I didn't. Um, it, it's so... Uh... So I said earlier, the research wasn't bad, but I reached a certain point as well, where it's like, this is a lot. I mean, <laughs> um, I was getting whiplash over what was happening with the character itself. 
yeah yeah um, and it's not expected you'll read every issue by any means but it's uh it's a beautiful series if you want if you if you if you enjoy uh the pitch i just tossed you it's a good yeah. one from front to back it's still going um uh hellcat in it is great and there's a there's a whole thing where like iron man's neck gets broken and his armor's keeping him alive but he has to use a morphine drip to keep himself uh-huh. out of pain and iron man's an addict so now he's addicted to the morphine uh, it's it's good stuff. It's okay. it's, it's a strong read. I, I I genuinely have enjoyed it. Uh, we also get one more appearance. His most modern. Uh, Kurt Busiek recently told the Marvels series ran twelve issues. It's a bunch of flashbacks into a ton of very complex, convoluted Marvel continuity. I love Kurt Busiek. This was a hard title. It's pretty dense. There's a ton of weaving storylines. It's pretty didn't love it overall it filled I, holes but ugh, i didn't i didn't care for it very much i tried to dig into that and that's where i stopped where i was like i don't understand i i don't get yeah. it what's happening i i write summaries of titles for like a marvel database so that other writers can use them and yeah. when i had to when i had to disseminate this 12 issues for the marvel series i was like holy shit this is taking so long because it's just every page is so much information uh, and it's a lot of stuff. Anyway, we we see like some flashbacks to back when like Unicorn was a Russian agent and he goes to Sin Kong on a mission. That's basically all that happens. You don't need any more. There is also an additional Unicorn, like a different guy in a different suit that is confirmed that it's a different character. Uh, as far as I know, the, the appearances we have for him and like Marvel Age number one, Soviet Super Soldiers number one, Code of Honor number three, Deadpool volume three, number 39. And then he's part of like the big Thunderbolts army that Zemo assembles during civil war. Uh, and that's kind of it. Uh, what, uh, what are your thoughts as we, as we wrap up our review of unicorn, what do you like about this guy? What do you hate? I really hate that he's manipulated so much that he is taken advantage of for the entirety. Like he was created as the unicorn by people who knew like oh he's gonna die and then as he is dying he is seeking help from anyone he thinks can help him and all of them just use him with false promises of being able to help him so he's ultimately to me a sympathetic character and I'm sort of taking the Captain America issue out and Infinity Heist out when saying that because i think he's a tragic character who walks into the ocean and that's really the end um then if you're talking about more modern continuity i would almost prefer him to be that more comedic role i think that there is room for that with this pantheon of bad people all the bad guys all the villains we could use some more comedic effect in there and not taking himself as seriously having the weird thing with spot that's fun and quirky um and also somewhat gross like you can have fun with it but also still not like him Um, i am i am not gonna write this story i do script about characters after patreon episodes sometimes i'll sit down and literally write stories because i because i'm feeling inspired and i'm getting back into my comic book writing yeah uh but uh if i was to tell a unicorn story which i don't plan to uh, eight pages. You go back and you give him a family history. You show him some motivation from back at the beginning. You tell his story about why he ended up being drafted. You talk about why it's so tragic that he was driven insane. 
And then you give him a little bit of a redemptive arc where he gets his mind back. And maybe in, even in the end, he sacrifices himself to save someone. Uh, you give him an ending. You give him either a burial or a cure so that he's back in like the command of himself. I think if you're ever going to treat this character as anything less than a joke, as something to either be used or, or like kick the crap out of, you've got to give him some motivation and some story. And you've got to fill in some of the blanks about why he does what he does and why the insanity arc was so tragic for him. Yeah. he's But he's very, very forgettable. He's a little savage in his first three appearances. And then it's just him trying to like not die for the rest of continuity. Yeah. And then in our more modern stuff, we get the Gulag version, the Feed the Spot version, and then uh, and then the Korvac like mind control guy. He's weird. When I was reading, I had I had, I had never put this shit together. When I read him walking into the ocean, and then I read Brubaker's Captain America, where he's the guy in the Gulag, I was like, what the fuck? And then I read Teary's like creepy hey you want my apple teeny spot like i was like whoa like what, <laughs> hap what happened <laughs> uh, yeah and that's the whiplash that i'm referencing it's like what oh okay there there's opportunity for storytelling just as you laid out that um someone could if they really wanted to explain what happened my favorite part about doing these episodes with my friends is just, I, I will forever associate this character, first of all, with you, Daryl, but also just with this conversation, this this recap of who he is and where he comes from and what that means. Uh, like my heart breaks for him a little, but also he's super forgettable. He is to the Iron Man universe what characters like peepers are to the X-Men. Like he's he's used once in a while, but there's not a, oh God, now I need to do a Peepers episode <laughs> of the Patreon. Oh, I love Peepers. <laughs> anyway, he's a, he's very, very forgettable. He's a, he's yep. a castaway. Uh, he's a henchman. Uh, I don't know, but I'm kind of fond of him at the same time. I love Porcupine. I'll tolerate Unicorn. <laughs> yes. Agreed. So um, if people want a taste of him, I would still suggest, I think it's issues 22 and 23 of x-men um because you get him and you see sort of his distilled version of what that first run of him is from the early 60s through the early 80s like it is him distilled you see what he's capable of you really don't need anything outside of that. My favorite story, if I chose one, I mean, the Captain America thing, it was behind the scenes, but it was great. Uh, he's he's bit. But I think the Archie Goodwin story where Red Ghost is manipulating Unicorn and then he has to team up with Iron Man to escape the building wreckage, I think that's his best story. Okay. I really, I really liked that one. Uh, but he is, meh. You know what we need? You know the story I'd write is he gets to meet an actual unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> That's and the story like we need. Like, have him hook up with Deadpool somehow. Have a Deadpool issue where Deadpool is battling him, but he sees that he is ultimately misunderstood and introduces him to an actual unicorn. Deadpool would murder him so fast. Oh, I know. There, He would not give Unicorn a chance to speak. He would stick a sword in his third eye. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he needs to go to like Asgard where they have actual unicorn mm. and just like ride a unicorn and let it heal him. And then like maybe the unicorn kills him tragically. <laughs> like they're like flying somewhere and he just falls off. That is the unicorn story we need. 
Yes. Uh, Daryl, this has been so fun to hang out with you. I'm enormously fond of, of our nerdy connections and our ability to just banter and have fun. I'm so glad we're friends. Uh, Daryl recently wrote a book. Do you want to tell people a little bit about it? Yeah, it's called On the Go All the Time, The Unusually Usual Lives of Two Midwestern Women. It's actually a dual biography of my great-grandma and my great-great-grandma. I used tons of primary sources that I had available and paired it with secondary sources to really tell what it's like or what it was like to be a woman in the Midwest in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, I think it's more probably more of an American experience of what life was like for women. Um, not all my secondary sources were Midwestern based, but um, sort of throwing into relief what they went through. In their I lives. have, uh, I've written a memoir and I've written a graphic novel, but neither of those are a similar project to what you did. However, I did make a documentary. It's called Dog Valley. It's about a gay man that was murdered back in the 80s. And I had to track down court records and phone numbers. And I interviewed one of the murderers in prison and it was intense and it took over my life for like five years. Not the same thing, but I know what it's like to try to piece together history. Uh, and I respect that so much because your book is really, really well done. You're so careful with your words and the way you portray this story and weave the narrative together. But I said this on the Trump Beaver episode. To me, it was a story of uh, like really strong women who did not have a lot of opportunities. Uh, and uh, your respect for both of your 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 uh, ancestors here is is just uh, really beloved. And then you're working on a new book. Uh, uh, my one of my literal favorite songs of all time is Blue Bayou by Linda Ross Ronstadt. I adore her voice, uh, it, especially in that song. Uh, tell us about your new project. Yeah, so I recently signed my first book contract, which is surprising because I never thought I would write any books ever or have an aptitude for it. Um, but I am writing about Linda Ronstadt's career from 1969, her first solo album, up to 1989 which is her uh, um, last sort of commercially successful album, like large scale. It's where she had her duet with Aaron Neville of Don't Know Much. Um, so I get to cover a wide swath of her career that includes like so many genres of music as well, because she very much is a chameleon and she does what she wants, which is so cool. Um, so... I am going to get that done. It should come out sometime next year. Uh, my deadline is next spring. So I will be spending the Minnesota winter listening to albums on repeat. And similar to what you said about producing a documentary, like trying to find people and talk to them and tracking down their phone numbers and things like that, except um, you might have had more success. I'm going to have to track down people like Emmy Lou Harris and things oh, yeah. like that. So I'm um, working through a lot of talent management companies and things like that. But hopefully I'll produce a book that you and other Linda Ronstadt fans will really enjoy reading. Uh, there's a Linda Ronstadt documentary that I watched a couple of years ago. I don't recall the name. It is called I, The Sound of My Voice. It's wonderful. And I remember, I think it was Dolly Parton who said Linda Ronstadt could sing anything. And I learned so much about her. And I remember coming home and listening to all her albums. And then the last time you and I talked, uh, not the Tom Brevoort episode, but the one before, I, I like totally put on Linda Ronstadt all over my house that day. Uh, yeah, again, Blue Bayou is just one of my favorite things ever. I'm going to go listen to it when we end this. It, it, it's, yes. it's a go-to song for me. Like my, my Spotify list will bring that to the top regularly because I love it so much. And if you have a second, go on to Disney Plus for the Muppet Show episode. She did. She does yes. Blue Bayou. 
on the Muppet Show. Yep, I remember. I love me some Muppets too. Yes. Uh, Daryl, mad respect for you. I'm so thankful for your friendship. Thanks for unicorning with me today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for inviting me on to unicorn. Uh, go go enjoy your power horn when you get offline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> feed and, uh, feed um, your spot an apple teeny. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, some people do pour drinks onto themselves. I view that as wasteful. Unicorn just has a method to consume it if he does uh lastly uh where can people find you online and we're going to drop this next sunday so uh so september 5th where all right uh, what can we look forward to on the x files podcast yes the x factor files we talk all about peter david's run on x factor investigation so that's his second run on x factor um it's a lot of fun my partner philip and i cover an issue a week and we are up into the 20s so i don't know if you felt that way once you reached the low 20s of your podcast with Gray Malkin and you're like I'm finally hitting a stride like I'm feeling comfortable with this rhythm of recording and digging into this and how I analyze things so I think I, uh, I am treating this podcast like it's a like it's a full-time job uh when I started it was like a project it was a couple friends coming over and we'd hang out in the basement and read like read x-men and like laugh into microphones and then at a certain point, I started inviting other podcasters on the podcast. That's how I met Paul and, and Dylan yeah. and Regina and Chandler and Chris and a few others. And then uh, there was one point where I sent out a couple of invites to, I think, like Jordan White and Leah Williams. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This like gathering of friends online. And then the podcast just went. Then I did my first trial and it just became something else. I'm spending like 25 hours a week. Uh, but it sounds like you're almost doing the same. I, I I know you're doing a weekly episode, but you're starting to have some guest stars come on. I got I got to come on once, but tell us a little bit about who uh, who you're looking forward to. Yeah, so um, we're going to have you on again in a little while because there's a story arc involving the Invisible Woman, and love me some Zoo Storm. I know. So uh, I really want you back on for Sue. Um, we're going to have Dayspring from the Power of X-Men podcast and also Flinkman, um, who is his occasional um, co-host, yeah, come on for the Messiah Complex stuff because they both have super strong feelings about Messiah Complex. And Philip and I are like, well, what is it all about? So we are going to walk through everything involving that when we tie in X-Factor. Um, and it it's a whole lot of fun um as you know scheduling people can be a challenge so sometimes philip and i are just like we need to bang out three episodes on this random sunday let's get it done um but we do have some exciting things coming up um and i have a couple other people i'd like to get on as well some of the people you mentioned um i just hung out with chandler and with dylan so two other podcasts this past saturday so um it's a fun little community that we have as x-men podcasters and um it gives us a great opportunity to then get outside of what we typically cover too like today with unicorn i just got to go to FlameCon, and it was so legitimizing because a lot of the people that i've spent hours i mean you and i have hung out for hours at this point and we chat yeah. on occasion but I got to go meet people in person and form real person-to-person -person connections. I spent so much time with like Anthony Oliveira and Steve Orlando and Demanda Martini. And I don't mean that to sound name dropping because these people are my friends now. I met their partners. We had dinner and drinks together. And I, you know, it was, it was lovely. Uh, I had such a lovely time. 
Uh, and I'll show you this. I don't show many people this, but uh, I handwrite everything. This is my yeah. schedule for the podcast. Ooh. Like that's how many episodes that I've booked currently. And speaking of Demanda, and I know she's listening to this right now. Um, she is a spreadsheet queen. And I think you may be coming for that crown with... <laughs> With what you just showed me, it is a handwritten spreadsheet, Demanda. So. Mine, mine is written, and my partner recently spilled tea on my calendar, and I lost my shit, which I don't ever lose my shit, but I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Getting out the uh, hair dryer. Um, my next Patreon episode after this is Sidorak with Hussein Rashid, who I met in real life in New York, and Hussein's amazing. And then after that, I'm doing Lorelai from the Savage Land Mutates with Demanda. And Demanda's going to do Lorelai cosplay. And I'm Ooh. so excited. And then this is a very preemptive announcement because it's not happening for a while. But uh, Veronica Fish, if you know the author is or the artist, I mean, is going to do a Lorelai piece for my wall. Uh, and then Demanda's coming back on with me to co-host when we have Veronica Fish on the podcast in, I don't know, like a uh, couple months. It's going to be a little That's while. so cool. But yeah, we got some crazy shit coming up. I'm excited. Yeah, I look forward to it. I always look forward to listening to your new episodes. They give I'm, putting, me... I'm putting out a lot of content. So thank you for not being overwhelmed. <laughs> yes. Um, I drive into the office three times a week. So it gives me a lot to listen to, which is appreciated because my commute is a bit of a bear. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm so glad we're friends, man. It's uh, it's yeah. genuine. Um, uh, Gray Malkin Lane, uh, you can find Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. Right as this episode drops, I'm going to be uh, releasing the day before an interview with Sandy Plunkett. Uh, and then right after that, we have Sam Humphreys and both of them are wonderful and I've got great shit coming up. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, we'll see you back here uh, next time on Patreon. Bye, Daryl. Bye.